Wow. What a time of worship. And as I've said before, if that didn't bless you, your blesser's broken. That was tremendous. Thank you, Nicole, Ruth, and Nathan tonight for that, leading us in worship tonight. Revelation 17 tonight. We are coming to two chapters in the book of Revelation to talk about Babylon. So before we get to what I want to concentrate on tonight, we need to deal with some context for this week and next week. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Babylon and why God designates Babylon here in these two chapters. God chose Babylon as a reference to the diabolical worldly system that will exist especially at the end of time, okay? We know when God talks about the world in some contexts, he's talking about the people of the world. And he's always loved the people of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But there are times in the Bible where God uses the word world to refer to this worldly system, if you will, a satanic, demonic system that is sort of underlying this world and the leaders of this world in opposition to God. And it is referred to here in Revelation 17 and 18 as Babylon. Now, Babylon has two heads, if you will. And yet we're going to see tonight and next week that they are so entangled with each other that it's sort of one and the same, but they are separate to a degree. There is religious Babylon, and that's where we're going to concentrate tonight. In a sense, a symbol of false religion that is in opposition to God. And then next week in chapter 18, we're going to look at political Babylon, the world governments, if you will, united in opposition to God. And what we see the world coming to is a one-world government, if you will, in opposition to God, and a one-world false religion in opposition to God. And this is why then John writes in 1 John to us as Christians, do not love the world or the things of the world. He's not talking about people there. John 3, 16, that's people. God loves the people of the world. When God directs us not to love the world, he's talking about that system, if you will, that is underlying this movement that has been there throughout history, but will culminate in the last days 
of a one-world government in opposition to God as well as a one-world religion in opposition to God. Now, tonight we're going to look at a controlling, a continuing, and a conquering that God does throughout this. But before we get to those perspectives, let's spend a few minutes, because this is what chapter 17 is all about, talking for a little bit about religious Babylon. Notice in verse 1, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke to me. Come, and he said, I will show you the condemnation and punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. Why is she called the great prostitute? Because this term stands for idolatry, religious, religious apostasy, and spiritual defection, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and the earth's inhabitants got drunk with the wine of her immorality. Why is this false religion described in terms of drawing away the leaders and inhabitants of the world through sexual immorality because it speaks about spiritual adultery, if you will. That they are drawing people away from a loyalty and devotion to the true God to loyalty and devotion to false gods, idolatry, the worship of idols, if you will. And notice it says that the earth's inhabitants got drunk with the wine of her immorality. Speaking about her lies, the lies of this false religious system are intoxicating. So he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness where this woman was, the great prostitute. Why is she in the wilderness? Because the wilderness speaks of emptiness. And even though, as we're going to see outside, she looks beautiful, on the inside, there's nothing there but emptiness. Or as later on, as we're going to see her described in verse 4, she looks delightful on the outside, but she only has death on the inside. That's what this false religion is going to be about. Now, the woman, verse 4, was dressed in purple and scarlet clothing and adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She is enticing, attractive, and alluring. She deceives the world into following false gods and rejecting the true God. She's very wealthy, <laughs> this false religious system. She's very alluring. She makes lots of promises, and yet there's no substance to what she offers. And by the way, this final world religion is going to be a hodgepodge of many different religions. And you even see this today, where people who were even brought up in, say, even a religion, if you will, are not really committed to that religion. They, they, they sort of are not practicing such and such. And, and if they're spiritual in, in any sense, it's they just grab this that they like from that, and they grab this that they like from that, and it, and it sort of becomes this synthesis of, of false religion, if you will. 
Now, what does this tell us? This goes back to a very important principle, and that is that God created every human being to be a worshiper, that he created every human being with the capacity to know him and to love him and to worship him. And yet, human beings abhor a vacuum. Therefore, if we're not going to worship the one true God, then false religion and idolatry and all of that is going to eventually fill that vacuum. And we see that happening today ad infinitum. By the way, the very first commandment even of the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses was, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Idolatry. Idolatry. And that's exactly what this final one-world religious system described here as a great prostitute will be all about. And you see then some of the characteristics that John is revealing to us as he gets this revelation from God. Notice verse 5, on her forehead was written a name, a mystery. A mystery is not something to be mysterious about as Christians. A mystery is just simply something that could not be known unless God revealed it to us. And many times it is things that were not clearly revealed or uh, brought out into open light in the Old Testament, but now is brought to light in a greater degree in the New Testament. Her name is Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes. This is why she is called Babylon, because from God's perspective, Babylon is the source and origin of all idolatry. That's why she's called the mother that word simply means the source or origin of idolatry. And that's what the word prostitute here is speaking about, a spiritual idolatry. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis, to the tower of what? Babel. And why God came down and put a stop to that. And ever since then, that area of the world has been a source and progenitor of the idolatry that has spread throughout the world. Notice, and of the detestable things of the earth. This is a phrase used of things pertaining to, again, idolatry. Now, notice something about this false religious system. She only tolerates her kind. All who oppose her will be exterminated. Because John says, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who testified to Jesus. She, this system, will murder Christians during the tribulation period because she can only tolerate belief in her system. She cannot be tolerant of Christianity and of faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's arrival to her. And John says, I was greatly astounded when I saw her. But the angel said, don't be ast astounded. 
I will interpret for you the mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carry her. And here now you have, and I'm not going to take a lot of time, but here you have sort of the entanglement, if you will, between the false religious system and the one world government or leaders of the world in that time. In fact, that's why you see that she is even sitting on the uh, scarlet beast in verse 3. He carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness, and there I saw a woman, the great prostitute, and who's she sitting on? The scarlet beast. So there's this, in a sense, they're in bed together against God. They're going to work together this religious system and the political system that exists because they do have a common hatred of one being, God, the one true God. And they will come together for a time and they will be entangled together. Now, it will not last completely, but for a time, that's what's going to happen. And notice verse 8, the beast you saw was and is not, but is about to come up from the abyss, reminding us that the demonic realm is the source for the beast and his kingdom. All right? Now, there's a lot more we could say about this religious system. I just want to say one thing. Her great significant influence. This is why it is a one-world false religion. Notice back again in verse 1 at the end of the verse. Where is the great prostitute sitting? She's sitting on many waters. Waters speaks of peoples of the earth. In other words, her influence is vast and wide. Look at verse 15. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. In other words, this false religious system, her influence will cross racial barriers, it will cross national barriers, and it will cross cultural barriers. The one thing that will bring in a sense, the divided people of the earth together is this false religion. Think about it. We are such a divided world today, right? But yet in the plan of God, there's going to be something that unites the people of this world, and that is this false religious system, this great prostitute that leads people from devotion to God to devotion to idols, if you will. Then look at verse 18. As for the woman you saw, she is the great city that has sovereignty or sway over notice the kings of the earth. The leaders of the earth, the political now leaders of the earth, this religious system holds sway over them. They're in bed <laughs> if you will, with this false religious system. The false religious system works together with the false political system in its opposition to God. This is what John is seeing that's going to be happening 
And you and I are living in a day and age where we see the world going in that direction. A one world governing and a one world religion, false though it is, that will pull people together under one banner. Now, even for a Christian, this could be a little disheartening, right? But there's a couple things I want us to be reminded of tonight. First of all, we're going to see a controlling here of all this, and it is God who is in control. Let's not forget that, that even though the world is moving towards this, this is all part of God's plan and purpose for the earth. He's letting man run itself out. You don't want me. You don't want any part of me. You don't want to accept my offer of salvation and my free gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You don't want to love me. You don't want to worship me. Then you will worship false gods because I created every human being with a capacity for worship. And if that vacuum is not filled with me, it will automatically be filled with something else or someone else. You and I need to take heed to that as well. That is why worship and the worship of the one true God and learning to worship God in spirit and in truth is so important because even as Christians, if we are not living to worship God alone, then that vacuum will start to be filled by the worship of other idols. And even John says in 1 John 5, 21, to Christians, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Don't be drawn away to worship anything or anyone else other than your God. But God is in control. Go back with me to verse 1. One of the angels who had seven bowls came and spoke to me and says, Come, and I will show you the condemnation and punishment of the great prostitute. In other words, the justice and judgment of God upon the great prostitute. How can he make that statement unless God is the one who's in control of all things? And it's so sure that her judgment and justice for her will come about one day that he's saying, again, it's as good as if it already happened. See, even though God is going to let this false religious system exist for a time, as we're going to see, he's in control of it all. And he will let it go for a time. But there will be a very sudden end. Notice in verse 13, the kings or political leaders of the earth at this time have a single intent and they will be behind the Antichrist. They will give their power and authority to the beast and support and prop up the Antichrist. So that again, it's one world government, one world religion. Now, how can all the kings of the earth agree on anything, right? How can they be unified on anything, even opposition to God. Look at verse 17, very important. Because God is the one, the Bible says, who has put it into the minds of the leaders of the world to carry out, notice these next two words, his purpose. 
God has put it into the minds of these religious leaders to carry out his purpose and support the Antichrist. Who's in control? Not the leaders of this world. God is in control. Now, that doesn't mean that God is violating their free will. It's just like with Pharaoh. God knows that that's the direction they want to go, and God is simply going to help them get there. He's going to confirm them in where their heart is already. That's why the Bible said God hardened Pharaoh's heart because Pharaoh had already hardened his heart against God. And God then is going to put it into the minds of these kings of the earth to do what is his purpose because he knows that's already what they want to do anyway. He's simply going to help it along. By making a decision, verse 17, to give their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Think about that. Even here in the book of Revelation, God is reminding us, my words will be fulfilled. Every I will be dotted, every T will be crossed, every detail that I said was going to happen ahead of time, it will happen just as I said. You can count on it because God's in control. God is faithful. And everything God does and everything that is a part of God is going to last. Everything that is of this world is not going to last. So now I want to transition from being reminded that God is in control to talking a little bit about a continuing that is all from God as well. A continuing, a moving on, a going forward. I'll start with a couple verses. Speaking about the word of God, Isaiah the prophet says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Old Testament says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. There's a permanence, there's a continuance to God and to everything that God does. So with that, I want us to contrast this world, and especially thinking about this final world religion, this false religious system of idolatry, and even the final one world government. Because think about it. The religious leaders of this earth that are going to be a part of this system and the political leaders of this earth are, that are going to be part of this system will spend their whole lives and all of their time and energy and effort on bringing this about. I mean, for them, this is like the ultimate. This is what they've always hoped for. You see, even today, as you hear religious leaders and political leaders like, you know, getting us used to this idea, 
If you listen to them, they think they're doing the world a good. They think they're doing the world a favor. They're looking at themselves as being good people and that how can any of us refuse to be a part of this one world government and this one world religion? Isn't this what we all were all dreamed of as human beings to all be together and be united going back to Babel, right? But it was for evil, wicked intention. It wasn't for the worship of God, which is why God came down to Babel, even though the people of the world were unified and said, enough, I'm scattering you, and I'm giving you a different language so you can't communicate with one another. Because all you're going to do if you're that united is you're just going to do more evil. You're not going to do more good. So I couldn't help but think that in that same passage, where John writes in 1 John 2, do not love the world nor the things in the world, he later on in verse 17 says this, and the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. Oh, my friends, memorize that verse, 1 John 2, 17. The world is passing away with all its desires. In other words, everything that these people desire, everything they're living for is going to slip through their fingers and be gone one day and gone forever. It will not continue, but the Bible promises that those of us who commit our lives and devote our lives to doing the will of God we remain. We continue. We're part of what's lasting. And billions of years from now, what will still matter and what will still count. So here's a question for all of us. Are we doing the will of God? The one who does the will of God remains forever. If we're not doing what God's will is for our life, then we're wasting our time on this earth. God wants us to do his will, and I believe God has a will for every person. In fact, we're going to see that in just a moment. So before I get into this and show you these other things, let me ask you this. Is your name written in the book of life? Why do I say that? If you go up to verse 8, the inhabitants of the earth, all those whose names have not been written in the book of life since the foundation of the world will be astounded when they see that the beast was and is not but is to come. Those whose names aren't written in the book of life worship the Antichrist. Is your name written in the book of life? And then notice... In verse 14, those who will eventually accompany the Lamb back to earth are the called, being invited by God, the chosen, selected by God for a specific purpose, and faithful, reliable, dependable. And notice there in those three that you have a balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God is sovereign to call and to choose our responsibility is to be faithful to the calling and choosing of God in our lives. That's our responsibility. Now, why do I say that 
you see here a lack of continuing with this false religious system in contrast to what we just talked about in 1 John 2, 17. We'll go up with me to verse 8. We'll start there. The beast you saw was and is not, but is about to come up from the abyss. But then notice these next words, and then go to destruction. <laughs> He's not going to be around very long. In fact, we know that his earthly rule as the Antichrist will probably be the shortest rule of any world ruler in history. A couple years, gone. All that they worked for to bring about, very short-lived. Notice verse 10, talking about the political sort of, of fallout of, of the last days. Five have fallen, one is, the other. I believe the Antichrist has not yet come, but whenever he does come, he must remain. But then again, notice these next five words, for only a brief time. He will not continue. Verse 11, the beast then that was and is not is himself an eighth king, and yet is one of the seven. Oh, guess what? He's going to destruction. The anti Antichrist kingdom will not last. This is being emphasized over and over again. Notice verse 12, the ten horns, this political entity that will exist to support the beast and the great prostitute in the end of time. There are ten kings. They haven't received a kingdom yet, but they will receive ruling authority as kings with the beast. But then notice these next words. For one hour, a very short duration. They won't continue for long at all. See what God is trying to say? The world is passing away. The kingdom of the Antichrist that the world is going to be enamored by and flock to and worship him and think he's the greatest thing ever. It's only going to last for a few years, and then it's gone forever. Those of us who do the will of God remain forever. We are part of something that lasts. Everything in this world and every worldly thing will not last, which is why God then is telling us as his people, invest your life in eternal things, not in worldly things. The world's passing away. I've done a lot of funerals lately, and one of the things that just hits me at every funeral is we brought nothing into this world, and those folks that are passing on are not carrying anything with them. What we carry with us into heaven is who we have become in this life. Not only is our name, is it written in the book of life, but are we part of the call, the chosen and faithful of God? Are we doing the will of God? Are we living for the things that will remain long after this world has passed away? That's what God's trying to show his people, even through a chapter like this that is devoted to this final false religious system that will dominate and rule the world one day at the end of time. But one other, verse 14, and we'll spend the rest of our few minutes together on this verse. This is the conquering, a continuing, a controlling, and a conquering. The kings of the earth will make war with the Lamb, 
But the Lamb will conquer them. He will overcome. He will prevail. He will be victorious. Why? Because he is the Lord of lords. He's the master of the universe. He is supreme in authority over all other things, and he is king of kings. He is the sovereign ruler over all that he has created. That's why there is no one greater than Jesus, the Lamb. Now, why does the book of Revelation refer to the Lamb so much in this context? I mean, this is all about war and battling. You would think he'd be referred to as the Lion or as, again, as, as the Almighty or, you know, some other title. Why the Lamb? Because God wants to remind us that the victory that we have in and through him was secured by his sacrifice. Victory through sacrifice. That's what God wants to get across to us. You see, even this in the book of Revelation, this is simply the mop-up operation of the victory that he already won on the cross that he died on. When Jesus said it is finished, the victory was won there. It is consummated in his second coming. It is consummated at the Battle of Armageddon. It was won when he said, it is finished. Victory through sacrifice. And God wants us as his people to get that principle. That's how our victory is won. It is won through our sacrifice, you see. Even being willing to lay down our lives for others. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his brothers and his sisters. Jesus Christ laid down his life, and through laying it down, he won. He won. See, the world looks at that as weakness. God looks at that as strength and as victory. And let's not forget, and this is obviously confirmed in the gospel accounts, though you and I in our glorified bodies will have no scars from this life, all the physical scars and, and anything that is now on our body will be gone forever, that Jesus Christ is the one throughout eternity that will carry those scars. We know that because after he rose from the dead, he even said to Thomas, Thomas, you don't believe it's me, you don't believe in this literal bodily resurrection, then put your finger and touch my scars. They're still there. And why is Jesus going to carry those scars throughout eternity? As a reminder to all of us, victory through sacrifice. And the price that he paid for us to be a part of glory and heaven for all of eternity. That we're not there because of us, we're there because of him and what he did for us. That's why he's referred to as the lamb. And because of that sacrifice and because of that forgiveness that came with that sacrifice and that personal relationship with God that comes through his sacrifice. Notice, we will be able to accompany him to defeat the kings of the earth. We will be with him as companions. See, I think this is one of those verses that we're in in the Bible. We, the saints of God, will come back with him at the second coming. What a 
What a picture, what a promise. To think we haven't done anything, nor will we even do anything at the Battle of Armageddon. We'll just watch Jesus Christ just defeat all the armies of the world and all those who oppose him. But we're going to be there to watch his glorious victory and the consummation of that victory. All because he was the lamb who took away our sin, the sin of the world. He was the lamb that bore our sins. He was the one who knew no sin but became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so because of all that the lamb has done, as we've sung about tonight, shouldn't we be faithful? Shouldn't we be doing the will of God? Shouldn't we be living and investing in eternal things and not wasting our time on the worldly things that will pass away one day? I think that's what God wants us to get out of this chapter because the whole chapter is about the kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the world going after idols, worshiping false gods. And God is saying to his people, you know me. Worship me, love me, give your life for me, and you'll never regret it. You're going to live for what really matters, and what you do will remain forever. Let's pray. God, I thank you tonight that we have been reminded, God, as your people, that you're in control, even as the world moves it's all part of your plan and your purpose. This world and this universe is in your hands, and we are too, God. And we rest in you and we trust in you, God, to keep your people. And God, we thank you that we have a promise of continuing. That God, if we will simply devote ourselves on this earth to do your will, you have promised us that everything we're a part of will remain forever, including us, God. Eternal lives. And then, God, we see your victory. That because of who you are, one day you will prevail. It's not a question of if your victory will come. It's just a matter of when, God. When the consummation of your victory will come upon this earth. And God, thank you that we can be a part of that victory celebration, that we can accompany you, that we can be with you, that we can be a part of your eternal kingdom, that we can serve and reign with you, not only for a thousand years here on earth, but forever and ever and ever. So God, may we be encouraged tonight that even though we live in the midst of this world that's moving towards all that is false, God, we thank you that we know the one true God and that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to remain true worshipers, devoted, energetic, and enthusiastic towards you, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.